Good morning. Welcome to Branches. I'm Amanda Clark. I'm the pastor here at Branches, and I just am so grateful to see each of you here. Good morning, Branches live stream family. We're so happy that you're here with us today. If this is your first Sunday, man, especially thank you for coming. It's awesome to have you here. Um, If you're willing, we would love for you to fill out the orange Connect card that you probably received on your way in the door today, or you can grab one from your seat back pocket in front of you. Um, If you fill that out anytime during the service, we would love that. You can hand it back to the person who gave it to you or just tuck it in the offering box on your way out the door, and uh, you'll just be hearing a real brief email from us to say thank you for for being here this morning. I'm going to talk about the offering now, and I, if, if this is your first Sunday, I just want to say don't worry about that part. It's for our family that comes weekly and, and regularly attends and calls us our church home. And so if, if that describes you, I first want to just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for the ways that you believe in what God is doing in Warsaw through branches. And you can continue to give via cash or check in the offering box in the back or on any of the digital options on the screen, the most helpful thing you can do for us is to set up reoccurring giving because it's super, super helpful in our annual budgeting. I uh, wanted to let you know about a big stuff coming up, which the main thing that's coming up in all churches across the world right now is Easter. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, Good Friday service is April 15th, 6 p.m. Guys, I'm super excited about this. A couple weeks ago, I had lunch with some other lady pastors in Warsaw, and we were talking about Easter. And um, they said, hey, we might just want to bring some people from our church to your Good Friday service. And I was like, "Um, yes, please. So we get to be hosts for about four churches. And um, I don't think there'll be a ton of people from each one, but it's going to be really cool to be all together. And so um, please plan to be here for that service. It's one of, honestly, one of our most special services all year. I love it. And it's a really um, great time to be together and to just get our hearts still and quiet before the Lord and reflect on Jesus' death for us. Uh, And then also then Easter Sunday is fun and a big celebration. And one of the ways that we make that fun is an Easter egg hunt for the kids. And so every year we ask you to participate in that by uh, donating candy. And so what you can do is right out here in the hallway, there's some boxes with empty Easter eggs and then some empty plastic bags. And you can just take as many eggs as you want, fill them with candy, and bring them back over the next two weeks. And we'll use those for our Easter egg hunt. Also be looking forward to Easter Sunday on April 17th and be in thinking and praying about who you are going to invite this year. I would like to see every person sitting right here invite somebody to Easter this year. That would be so awesome. Okay, so right now we're in a series called Jesus at the Table. And in this series, we've sort of been meandering with Jesus around Galilee and now up into Jericho, heading towards Jerusalem. And Jesus would go to uh, different little villages, and he would preach the gospel and heal people. And then someone would inevitably invite him to dinner. And so we've been looking at the conversations and occurrences that happened while Jesus was sitting around the table. And, and we think that's really important because it was during those experiences that we get a really special glimpse of the kind of community that Jesus was building. 
that would carry on his work after he left the earth. And so the the kind of people he interacted with, the kind of things he said to them are all super important for us to learn how to build the kind of community Jesus was building. And that's really relevant because right now in the life of our church, our vision that we've discerned as a leadership team is to learn how to build a loving, spirit-centered community. And we think that's the same kind of community that Jesus was building, a community where we learn how to love like Jesus loved people, and a community where we know that anything good that happens in our lives as individuals or in our church family or in the way we interact with people, anything good that happens happens because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so we want to say, how do we lean into that? How do we participate more in what the Spirit is doing in this community? And so every week of this series, we've been looking at a different aspect of how Jesus was building this loving, Spirit-centered community. And today, what I hope that we'll walk away with is that in the community Jesus was building, we practice transforming reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is one of those churchy words, but it kind of just basically means there's two people or two groups, and they are at odds with each other. Something has occurred to cause a break in their relationship, and then they mend that break, and they are reconciled. And so that's the idea of it. But The way the world does reconciliation is really different from how Jesus does it. And I like how we do it here to look more like how Jesus does it. So today we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus. And I'll start out with Luke 19, 1 to 4 to get us going. We're just going to walk slowly through this passage. He entered Jericho, he meaning Jesus, and was passing through it. In this, I need you to imagine like a main street, and there's um, Jesus is walking down the street, and there's like people lining up on both sides of the street to greet him because word has got around about Jesus, and they're excited to see him. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. Okay, as we get going, there's a couple themes that the author of the gospel, Luke, is trying to draw out in this story. And I want us to to zone in on them and pay attention. First, there's a theme of blindness and sight. So in a story right before this story, You may know about a guy named Bartimaeus, and he's blind, and he cries out to Jesus to heal him, and Jesus heals him. But in the story, you realize that even in his blindness, he's the one that has spiritual eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. He knows he's the Messiah. In this story, the whole community of Jericho looks on Zacchaeus as one who is spiritually blind. But there's this theme of him really trying to see Jesus. And so in verse 3, he's seeking to see who Jesus really is. Let's pull up that passage again. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree 
to see him. And, and what, the, um, what I really want to draw out here is he was trying to get a look at Jesus for himself. I want to see this guy. I've heard about him. Is he the Messiah we've heard about? Is he the one we've been waiting for? Is he the one bringing the kingdom of God? And what we'll learn today is that when we really seek to see Jesus for who he is, it transforms us. And then another theme we find as we work through this passage, and honestly, all the stories we've heard so far in this series, there's this question of who is in and who is out. Like who's in and who's out of God's family, of the kingdom? Who gets a seat at the table with Jesus? And what we keep finding in these stories is that everyone else in society has agreed to a set of rules that determine who's in and who's out. And Jesus just keeps breaking all the rules. And that's because in the community Jesus is building, as Justin shared with us a few weeks ago, we reject false value assessments and we choose to see people like God sees them. Sometimes we have to say no to the systems of our culture and see people like Jesus sees them. And in the tables we've sat around so far... We've seen that, like, Jesus had dinner with a religious leader called a Pharisee named Simon, and a woman came to the house uninvited, and she had a bad reputation in the city. And Simon automatically knew she was out and actually just wanted her out of his house. But Jesus said, no, she's in. She gets a seat at the table. And then another time, Jesus had dinner with his new disciple, Matthew, who used to be a tax collector. And Everyone thought that that guy was surely out because nobody likes a tax collector. And Jesus shocks them again and says, no, he's in too. And, and we kind of discover the reason why in the story I shared two weeks ago about when Jesus fed 5,000 people, we saw that in the community Jesus was building, there's abundance, abundance of love and forgiveness to make room for everyone at the table. And so we're going to get into this story now and just really keep picking through it, digging in. And I want you to pay attention to this theme of seeing and the question of who is in and who is out. Let's read this again. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. Okay, first thing. Let's talk about how Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, If you weren't raised in church, that's a really weird thing to say. I'll explain it to you later. In the Joel Green commentary we've been using, um, I, he just kind of wrecked my childhood. Thanks, Joel. He said, yeah, may, yeah, Zacchaeus was probably short. But the, the bigger thing that we need to focus on in this passage is the words, on account of the crowd. So Joel says that in the Greek, there's this sense that the crowd was actively keeping him from seeing Jesus. It's like there's that parade. You know, people are lining both sides of the street. He's trying to push through to get to the front. And they keep elbowing him or stepping on his toes or stepping in front of him to keep him back. It's like the time I went to a concert and the only two people that were over six foot tall stood right in front of me and they were lovers. So they were all over each other and I couldn't see the concert. (laughs) Why are they doing this to him? Well, because they can. 
because he's a tax collector and he's like the district manager of tax collectors and he's gotten rich by his payroll from Rome that's extorting money from the whole county. Nobody likes this guy. He's the bad guy of bad guys in this story. But Zacchaeus is not dissuaded. He's used to getting his own way. And so he climbs a tree to get a view of what, you know, Jesus without getting accidentally elbowed in the face. And like, when's the last time you saw a grown man climbing a tree? It probably looked funny. I think people were laughing at him. It drew attention. And Jesus noticed it. So let's move on to verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Jesus looks up at this guy he's never seen before, says his name, and in front of the whole town, invites himself over. And remember, in this culture, having dinner with someone means that you are making a statement to the whole community that you are aligned with this person. And Zacchaeus is very happy to receive this honored guest in his home. This elevates his status hugely. Now, notice the contrast that Luke built in in verses 6 and 7. Or 7. All who saw it begin to grumble... And then the verse above. And he was happy. So happiness and grumbling. So up till now, every time in the story that somebody has been unhappy with Jesus' choice of dinner guest, it's been a Pharisee. But this time it's everyone. Everyone is grumbling that Jesus picked Zacchaeus. Probably because there's a big scene going on. Everyone can see it. But also because why would they not feel slighted? So many people on that street would have probably loved to have Jesus in their home. But no, Jesus picks the district, you know, the district manager tax collector, the worst option possible. Okay, so Jesus is doing something here. And it's pretty cool. In the stories up till now in the book of Luke, we've seen that according to Jesus, tax collectors and sinners are in. They're in, they get a seat at the table. Then in a story that we haven't read, but many of you probably know it, Jesus is taught, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, what do I have to do to be in? And Jesus says, if you want to be in, you need to sell everything you have, take the money you got from it, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy can't do it. It's too hard. So judging by that story, it would tell us that according to Jesus, tax collectors and sinners are in, but rulers and rich people are out. But what happens when a person is all for? Because Zacchaeus is rich, and he's a ruler because he's like a district manager, and he's a sinner, and he's a tax collector. And so Jesus is just not going to let us get comfortable. Jesus pulls out the rug and breaks every cliche he's been building up till now because he wants us to get an even bigger vision for the community he's creating. Because in the community Jesus was building, we practice transforming reconciliation. Anyone anyone's life can be changed. So let's see how that happens with Zacchaeus as we move on in the story. 
And you know, there's like a little bit of detail here that the gospels don't lay out for us and we have to imagine it. Because in this story where only the most important dialogue is captured, we, we still need to remember that this story took time. So Jesus invites himself over. Zacchaeus says yes. Everyone's annoyed except for maybe his friends that he shouts to to come over for dinner on the way to his house. And then they get to the house and he has to tell his servants, oh, by the way, you're hosting a dinner party for 30 and like, I'll give you two hours, you know. And so then there, then there's, you know, he invites them to put their feet up, Jesus, all the disciples, maybe some followers, and they're talking while the meal's being prepared. And, you know, preparing a meal for that many people takes a lot of time. I personally know that because um, I am an optimist who doesn't learn lessons very well. And so I am frequently attempting to pull off a dinner party for a lot of people, and I never get the timing right, ever. And so um, last weekend, I was trying to be a lot like Jesus, and so I called a person who is my friend, but we haven't been friends that long. And I invited myself over to her house. And then I said, can you also host a birthday party for Justin? And can I bring my food over and cook it at your house? (laughs) So it was a real test of that friendship. And she said, yes, it was amazing. So I'm at her house and cooking breakfast. And um, pretty soon all the guests arrived. And she looks at me and she says, um, you seem so calm as a host, just like so calmly fixing this meal, which by that she meant, you seem so calm for how far behind you are. (laughs) And I looked at her and I laughed and I said, well, everyone else here is like a longtime friend of ours, over 10 years. And they've had many meals in my home. And basically, over time, they've just learned that if you come to my house for a meal, like a big dinner, not just two one-on-one or whatever, but a big meal, um, you, you are going to be waiting at least an hour and a half before the food actually gets on the table. And so you probably should just eat like first dinner before you come and then be ready for second dinner after a while. And so um, (laughs) I just, you know, I have just given myself permission to own my failure in that area. And I try to lay out some cheese and my friends love me and I'm a pretty good cook. It works out. But it takes time to prepare this meal. And the whole time they're talking and then they have the meal and they're talking for hours and Jesus is leading the conversation because no matter where Jesus eats dinner, he's always the true host of the meal. And, And what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about the same thing Jesus always talks about, the kingdom of God. And Jesus is telling Zacchaeus and his friends how in the kingdom that God is bringing, there's abundance for everyone because people actually follow Yahweh's command to earn what they need and then generously use their surplus to help people in need. And and how when we actually trust God and do what God says, we find their security and comfort and peace in in our life that doesn't come from how much we have in our bank account. And when we live the kingdom way, our relationships are full of joy and peace and companionship because we don't have a path behind us that's lined with burnt bridges. And truthfully, we, I don't know exactly what Jesus was talking about, but whatever it was, we know that at some point in that meal, something happened to Zacchaeus. In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the 
<clears throat> excuse me, the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. Remember back at the beginning of this passage when Zacchaeus climbed a tree because he wanted to see who Jesus was? Was the tree where he saw Jesus? No. Where did, Jesus, where did Zacchaeus see Jesus? He saw him around the table with Jesus as a guest in that space of vulnerability, of unrushed face-to-face conversation that he saw Jesus. And when Zacchaeus really saw Jesus, he was transformed. And this is why I keep bugging you over and over. Have people in your home. Have people in your home. This is where the magic happens. This is where we see Jesus. This is where Jesus is the true host in our home. And Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He had spiritual hunger. He was not completely blind. He was seeking. So here's the truth. Transformation comes through experience. We can't educate ourselves enough about the Bible or Jesus to be changed. We need to experience God for ourselves. When we really see who Jesus is, when we have an encounter with God by the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. Our eyes are opened and we become different. And this is why every Sunday we try to create a really experiential worship service so that you can give yourself over to it. It's why we're loud so you can sing loud and engage and no one will really hear you because we're blasting your eardrums out. And uh, we also have a prayer ministry time at the end where every Sunday we say, please get prayer because we believe that when you let someone pray for you, the Holy Spirit's going to show up and you might have a really powerful encounter with Jesus. So take advantage of putting yourselves in the position to have an encounter with God. And, And Zacchaeus had this moment. He sat in Jesus' presence for hours and he was transformed. And for Zacchaeus, transformation was going to mean some serious change in the way he had been living in his community. If you remember, what we're working towards today is the idea that in the community Jesus was building, we practice transforming reconciliation. And in Zacchaeus' case specifically, we learn that a transformed person is reconciled to God and to people. And so we're going to talk about what it means for Zacchaeus and maybe us to be reconciled to God and what it means for us to be reconciled to other people. And as I was studying this out, I drew one conclusion about reconciliation to God and what it looks like according to this story. And then I drew a very different conclusion about our reconciliation to other people. So it's not really alike, and you might feel a little whiplash, uh, but we're, we're doing it. We're going there. So let's talk first about how he was reconciled to God. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So when we give our lives to Jesus... 
when we hand over control to him and align ourselves with God's kingdom, we are reconciled to God. Notice that after Zacchaeus told Jesus how he was going to take action to do good towards the poor, it's then that Jesus announces that salvation has come to the house. Because part of our own salvation, our own reconciliation to God, the working out of our salvation, is our alignment with what's important to God. This week I wrote a long paragraph to follow that sentence, and then I read one quote, and I was like, that's way better than anything I wanted to say. So this is a Twitter quote from Pastor Steve Besner, who pastors out of Houston. The Bible speaks about caring for the poor, including the widow, the orphan, in our day that would probably be like the foster child, the stranger, the alien, and the sojourner, over 2,000 times. 2,000 The word gospel is mentioned about a hundred times. It is impossible to preach a biblical gospel without concern for the poor. So in this church, we're going to preach a gospel that includes concern for the poor and listening to the voices of the poor so that we make sure that the way that we're trying to help isn't actually hurting. Because, it, you know, we, we, because we live in a deeply consumeristic and materialistic culture, for the rest of your life, you will need to regularly consider how your concern for the poor is or is not demonstrating your reconciliation to God. Let's think back for a moment on David's excellent sermon on Mary and Martha last Sunday. Mary and Martha's story tells us that each of us has a unique part to play in God's kingdom, and it won't look like another person's. And this reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler that I mentioned earlier. Jesus asked him to give up everything, all of it. But when Zacchaeus made his announcement that he was going to give only half, (laughs) that's so much, Uh, (laughs) it's a huge challenge for us. Jesus was really pleased with that amount. And the point is that your call to be concerned with the poor won't look the same as someone else's. We have a unique calling and God is going to ask a lot of each of us, but it will look different for each of us. And either way, be obedient. Whatever resources you have, use them wisely so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. Neither blowing all the money you have on yourself nor hoarding it. A transformed person is reconciled to God and to people. And this is part of how we show our reconciliation to God. Okay, that's that point. I'm going to pull the e-brake, spin us around, and we're going to go in a different direction. It's probably a bad idea to stay in the car with me. I am not known for my defensive driving skills, but let's do this. Okay, I'm going to read the passage again, part of it, and I want to focus on how Zacchaeus would be reconciled to other people that he had wronged. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. When Zacchaeus really saw Jesus, his transformation was that he recognized his need to be reconciled to people. Notice how the conversation did not go like this. Did not go like this. Zacchaeus says, "Um, so Jesus, there's just like one thing. I've cheated a lot of people on their taxes. Like this nice house, this meal that we just ate, it's all kind of like 
blood money. Is that fine? And Jesus is like, of course it's fine. You, in fact, you don't need to change anything about your life or behavior or core beliefs. I just love you the way you are. There's a seat at the table for you, and it doesn't really matter how you live. No, that's a gospel without repentance. That's a gospel without any need for the cross. And it's, a, it's pervasive in our culture, and it is a false gospel. Zacchaeus spent time with Jesus and his heart was transformed and his eyes were opened to how much wrong he had done to people in his life and he did something about it. Jesus is making room for every single person at the table who wants to be there. But when you sit down, he's planning to transform your life. And that transformation is going to require action on your part. And that's the essence of true repentance. Repentance means you're going in one direction. You realize it's the wrong way. You turn completely around and go the other direction, rejecting what's behind you. When we're truly repenting for the wrong that we've done to someone else, we go to them. We take full responsibility for the wrong we've done, and we take responsibility for the emotional and relational damage we caused. So most of us haven't cheated a whole town out of money, but we all go through experiences where we do the wrong thing. We say the wrong thing. We hurt someone else, and there's a break in our relationship. If we want to be reconciled to someone that we've harmed or mistreated, I'm sorry isn't good enough. We have to say, I'm sorry for doing blank to you. I was wrong. I caused you harm. I broke your trust. Please forgive me. What can I do to make this right? One of the, the I was thinking about like a story uh, that could make this come to life for us. And I, I thought of this experience that happened to me years ago. And it's like the best analogy I can think of. So years ago, like 12 years ago, I was really intimate friends with two women. And one woman rented a house from the other woman. And so I heard about the story from both sides separately. So the landlord and the tenant had, you know, they had a relationship. And then the tenant, my friend, she fell on hard times and she couldn't pay her rent for a couple months. And after a couple months, the landlord, my friend, said, you're going to have to move out. So she moved out, but she owed like $2,000 in back rent and she could not pay it. And that stayed that way for like almost 10 years. She was just caught in a cycle of poverty and couldn't get out. And so the landlord friend, she forgave her. She wrote off the debt. She moved on. But you don't really forget about that. <laughs> and so then almost 10 years later, the tenant, she, uh, her life changed. And she suddenly had like more than two nickels to rub together. And the first thing she did when she got the money was she went to this other friend and she said, I know it was a long time ago, but I know I still owe you this money. And she repaid her all the money. 
And what happened between the two of them was so beautiful because it was a huge act of reconciliation. She didn't really have to do it. She had been forgiven. But what happened is that relationship was more than restored and it gave dignity to my friend who had owed money all that years. She was set free from it. And Zacchaeus acknowledged to Jesus that there were people he had cheated and he knew he had to reconcile with them. Zacchaeus, he reconciled by promising to more than repay those he had wronged. And this reconciliation was an acknowledgement not only of the sin against them, the money that he extorted, but all the repercussions that came as a result and all the relational damage it caused between those he had wronged. So our reconciliation to people is going to look different than his, but the principle is the same. So we probably didn't cheat a whole town of people, but what about the ways that we manipulate people to get what we want? What about the lie that we told that friend to cover up our thoughtless behavior towards them? What about that person who treats you so bad and there's a mountain of resentment in your heart growing against them, but you haven't said a word yet because you don't like confrontation? If we're going to sit at the table with Jesus, he's going to challenge us hard about the kind of reconciliation we practice. And you know why? Because most of the time, when there's a rift in our relationships, it gets weird. And we just let it. We stop hanging out. We stop talking to each other. We stop looking each other in the eye. We start ducking down another aisle if we see him in the grocery store. Am I telling the truth? Brothers and sisters, this should not be so, especially in the body of Christ. We should be able to humble ourselves, to let go of our pride and go to them and repent. We can muster the courage to send a text that says, hey, things are weird between us. Can we get together and talk? Much of the time, things can get started on the road to reconciliation with one hard conversation if only we'd have the courage to initiate it. And this is our repaying them four times over because having a hard conversation is hard. I know that cannonball to the gut that happens right before we have the conversation, right before we call them. I know that it can literally feel like dying which incidentally is exactly what we're called to do. In a loving, spirit-centered community, this is how we practice transforming reconciliation. So let's talk about our next steps. Every week we um, just tangibly take some next steps in how we feel that the Spirit is moving in us to respond to this message. So every week we um, take out the orange Connect card that's in the seat back pocket in front of you. I would really like you to take that out right now along with a pen. And on your card, you can either just write something that the Spirit's doing in you or here are some guide points. The reason that we write these down is that when we actually write it out, it can help produce a little shift in our mind and heart rather than just thinking about it. The action of writing it down can do something in us. And then after you've done that, you can either take this card home and put it somewhere you'll see it again, or you can pop it in the offering box on your way out because our staff would love to pray for you as you seek to take this next step. 
So first of all, um, I want to ask you, can you see? Can you see who you need to reconcile with? Do you know their name? Does someone come to mind immediately? Even if it's been a while. If you do, write their name or their initials on your card. And this week, your goal is to initiate a conversation. Can you see the people in your life, in this community, in your awareness, who have very little? Who is Jesus calling you to show your reconciliation to God through generosity? If you know a person's name or you know an organization that you've been meaning to get in touch with, write it down. Or if you don't, write this. Give me eyes to see how I can be generous. And finally, can you see Jesus for who he really is? Have you yourself had an encounter with God? Have, you, have your eyes been open to the kingdom of God, to how much Jesus loves you and wants you to be part of his life-transforming kingdom where people are taken care of, where broken relationships are restored? Jesus is inviting you to come be part of his kingdom work where you get to bring hope and wholeness and health to people's life. And, and if, you, if you know that you actually haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, to be part of his kingdom. I'm inviting you to do that today. If you feel like you're ready for that step, on the same Connect card, there's a box that you can check that says, I want to talk to someone about beginning a relationship with Jesus. Mark that box, put it in the offering box with your name on it, and we're going to talk this week. And if you're not ready for that, but you want to be ready, write down, Jesus, give me eyes to see you. Justin, will you come back up now? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, show us today what our next steps are. Lord, I just believe there's um, someone here that, that has a person very clearly in mind that they need to reconcile with, and it is terrifying. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would infuse them with courage and conviction to do it, to do it scared. Bless their efforts, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, would you just press on each of our hearts how you would have us respond to your call to transforming reconciliation. We love you and we adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we are going to be moving into our prayer ministry time. And this is a time that we just set aside every Sunday to practice that listening to the Holy Spirit. Um, we say that we want to be a spirit-centered community, and this is just one other time that we get to set aside to really practice that here on Sunday mornings. And I'm going to bet if a lot of you are like me, you probably felt that stirring in your heart today whenever um, Amanda asked those very specific questions at the end about who we can be reaching out to, who we can be reconciled with. And that's the Holy Spirit moving today. So we want to take some time just to continue to press into that and say, God, what does that look like for me this week? Maybe you're really nervous about stepping out and that's something that you would like prayer for. And so we have a team in the back who would love to pray with you today that you would um, be able to, con uh, to begin that reconciliation process. So in addition 
to praying specifically for that. We also want to pray for you for anything that you might have a need for, whether that's big or small. Um, we, we really believe in the power of prayer and that Jesus is still healing today. And we want that for each and every one of us here today. Um, additionally, we have a, a pre-service prayer at 925 that anyone is welcome to join. And this is just a really cool time to come and say, hey, God, what are you doing today? And um, as we pray through that, we just ask God, hey, where are you moving? How can we partner with you? And so we put those words on the screen. Today, there's a few um, words for some physical healing. There's some words for emotional and spiritual healing. Just someone feeling like um, their spiritual life just kind of feels like they're limping along. Like it's there, but it's just kind of like a cane, just just not really uh, needing a cane to kind of help you along with that. And so if any of these words apply to you today and you're feeling that stirring in your heart, I encourage you to head to the back of the room. There's some people who would love to pray with you. And so as we conclude our service here today, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. And we're just going to take a few seconds here to just um, hold out your hands and close your eyes. And we're just going to say, come Holy Spirit. And I invite you to just be listening, checking in with your body. Where are you feeling the Spirit move today? Come Holy Spirit. Speak to us now, Lord. song.